Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 117. Thank you for joining us. Today we're joined by Dr. Andrew Mullally from the award-winning Catholic Medical Association podcast, Dr. Doctor. Dr. Mullally is a Catholic doctor, but is also a homeschooling father and a homeschooling alumnus himself. We'll get to hear about his journey to becoming a doctor, his participation in the Dr. Doctor podcast, and many wise words about homeschooling. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Stephen, do you have any aspiring medical providers in your house? No, I don't think so. That's, um, well, my son, my youngest son wants, said he wanted to be a bug doctor. So I don't know why you want to doctor bugs, but, um, (laughs) that's, that's the closest. That's the closest. There's a need for that, I'm sure. Yes. I think we have a, we may have a future veterinarian in our family, but I haven't heard much about medicine for humans here either. (laughs) I, I have many fond memories and cute pictures of my four bambini in a doctor dress up outfit that was passed down to us. And the cuteness of that still, it still gets me. So super cuteness, but yeah, that's, I think about as, as far as we've gotten in that regard, but one of my favorite podcasts has become Dr. Doctor. This award-winning show from the Catholic Medical Association also airs on EWTN with insight and commentary from its three Catholic doctor hosts and their guests. I was listening recently and heard one of the doctors refer to having been homeschooled and my ears perked up. And I'm so glad and grateful to say that he accepted our invitation to come and visit with us today. It's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Andrew Mullally. Hello and welcome to the Colby Cast. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, I was excited to get the invitation, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Oh, I'm, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's, I've been looking forward to this day, and it's finally come. Yay. So would you tell us about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So my name's Andrew Mullally. I'm a family doctor. I'm in Fort Wayne, Indiana, so uh, center of the country there. And uh, I was homeschooled. That was a, a huge part of my life growing up. Um, after homeschool, I, I was homeschooled actually, actually kind of getting into my educational history. I went to parochial school until second or third grade. And uh, my folks identify this was not the best place for my faith to grow. Mm-hmm. They brought me home. And uh, I was homeschooled until we got to high school. And then ultimately, I ended up going to the local public high school because we didn't have a Catholic high school where I grew up. Um, and then for college, I went to Ave Maria University in Florida. Whoop, whoop. I love them. And uh, then Michigan State for med school, then Fort Wayne for residency and fell in love with little Indiana and never left. There sure seems to be a lot, go- good, a lot of good going on in Indiana. We've talked to the sacrilegious guys there and Jonathan Conrad, the Catholic woodworker there. And you, you guys are all there, right? That you and your co-hosts are all in Indiana. Is that right? We're all in the same town, which is really funny. Uh, they were both, you know, two two little things that uh, kind of showed me this is where God wanted me to be. And after we, when we moved here, actually, it was really funny. I, I'm married and I have seven children. We're expecting our eighth. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we moved here, we it was really hard to find a house to rent. And we were trying to find a house, not an apartment, because uh, of the kids, you know, get them a little yard if we could. And so we took this house sight unseen. And when we actually moved in, our next door neighbors came out at that night. We're moving in and everybody's sweaty and unloading the moving truck. And they brought us a pie. They said, we just wanted to introduce ourselves. We had eight kids. Two of them are priests in the diocese. And we hope you like it here. We're like, I think God wants us to be here. <laughs> you know, We just immediately felt comfortable. I mean, anybody with, with kids, especially multiple kids, understands the, the joys and struggles of large families. So it's like, Hopefully they can give us some good graces if there's shoes and bikes in the yard and things of that nature. <laughs> yes. Quite, quite the usual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty common. So, would you tell us some of your standout memories of homeschool life when you were when you were being homeschooled? Did you have a typical day or anything like that that you remember? Yeah, I I remember it fondly. And the the I guess the biggest thing I was thinking about it before I came on was that homeschool for me kind of changed 
the longer we got into it. So I'm the oldest of nine. And then ultimately all my siblings were homeschooled. My youngest one's in college now. Uh, so mom and dad, I was kind of the guinea pig probably. Yeah. And um, through throughout the time I was homeschooled, it very much started looking like a formal school um, where, you know, from this time to this time, we're going to do this. From this time to this time, we're going to do this. And then over the years, it developed more into like, here are the things that we need to accomplish today. This is our lesson plan for the week. Um, it might be better to take a field trip this day and we can do school on Saturday or, you know, adjust on the fly. And so I think, especially after me, my folks really found so many of the, the joys and benefits of homeschooling was in the flexibility to tailor it to individual children. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know growing up, <laughs> it's so funny because we homeschool my kids too. Okay. Uh, so we've carried it on to the next generation here. Mm -hmm. But my wife was not homeschooled. Her whole family's teachers. And so actually when we first met, they were pretty skeptical, uh, mm -hmm. you know, just to be frank about, you know, I was homeschooled. Um, their teachers, you know, there's times when there's friction between those groups yeah. and uh, talking to them and especially getting to know them. And then we're homeschooling our kids. And now they're all thinking, uh, I think we might actually homeschool too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just uh, there's so many opportunities, not only to impart really education, obviously, is the canvas, but impart your worldview uh, and especially what is important and what is a distraction and to kind of be an example, I, I think of, you know, commonly a, a statistic I'll refer to on our show is a, a study that the Journal of American Medical Association did a couple years ago about child development. And they said after the age of four, the biggest influence in a kid's life are their peers and not their family. Hmm. And uh, you look at some of the things that all parents are concerned about their kids when they're in high school, and it kind of makes sense. if. If you think about just the average childhood or the average, I'm going to say maybe public school system and the, the trouble that kids can fall into, well, yeah, if they're not looking to their family for guidance, um, they're looking to other kids, you're going to really be into a pickle because they're, they don't know what they're talking about. I, I'd be scared to get advice when I'm six from another six-year-old. Right. Uh, and so that's one of the things I really like so much about homeschooling is that you get to help them recognize the the goods in this world and help define some of these things that might be more nebulous from a, a secular school. So I really liked it growing up, and I, I think my kids like it. I really like it. My wife likes it a lot. I certainly find, I, it was my experience, that all of those stereotypes of the opposition between parents and children and how, you know, you see it in TV shows or, or movies or whatever. It just doesn't, it does, it's not really there in homeschooling. So yeah, you have conflict, but every family has some form of conflict, but much more than a sassy child, I have a child who's coming to talk to me about various things or we're getting interested in things, which is, it's just a different world that people I, I think don't even necessarily know exists if they haven't tried out homeschooling or experienced it. Oh, yeah. Well, and you can see it in the kids, too. I, In my practice, about half, I do family medicine. So probably about half of my visits are pediatric in nature. And so I get to see a lot of kids and uh, being homeschooled, you know, it's, I guess I don't really advertise that, but, you know, it's a community. So we get a lot of homeschool kids in the practice. And you can really see a difference, I think, um, just not only in their obviously their education to the, to the extent you evaluate that. But the thing that impresses me the most is their just confidence in speaking to adults. You know, it's hard to get a eight year old or a 10 year old most of the time to talk to you in the setting of a 15 minute well child exam. Sometimes it's hard to get that conversation going, man, the homeschool kids, they're telling me everything. And, uh, <laughs> In in a very pleasant way, it's like, wow, so you feel totally unintimidated communicating well with an adult. And uh, a lot of times, I guess, I'm like, do you guys homeschool? They're like, yeah. So that makes sense to me because I've seen that before. So does it come up much that you were homeschooled with your patients and their families? Does, does it come up 
at that yeah, point? Yeah, I would say so. I, I try and bring it up a lot just because it's a, it's a unique thing, um, becoming less unique. It was a lot more unique in the early 90s, you know. Um, but I think kids really like it too. And I kind of hope, you know, at least to some extent to to be an example for them because I think there's a lot of myths among the homeschooling communities, especially first-generation homeschoolers, where they they think, I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> yeah. I'm not qualified to do this. You know, uh, is it going to, you know, I've heard some people say, I sure hope my kids can get into college or, you know, they're they're worried about things of that nature. And I always try and just encourage them. And I know my experience, at least going from homeschool to public high school was, public high school is kind of a joke. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I just, uh, I'm familiar growing up with, you wake up, you have your task list, you got to get through these things. This is your, your assignments for the day, week, month, calendar year, and you're budgeting your time. And uh, a lot of it, especially into the middle school ages, I think of self-study and, and being, you know, individually motivated to complete my work. Man, that was completely different when I went to public high school. Everything, at least my experience, was everything was spoon-fed. Expectations were very low. I'm sitting in class thinking, you know, how is this going to take an hour? Well, the secret is it doesn't. It takes about 10 minutes and people waste time. And uh, again, I, I think everybody's experience is different, but I felt way more than prepared for public high school and then education after that. So I, I always like to to point to that for little kids and say, hey, if you want to grow up and be a family doctor, that's what I do. Uh, that's easy. You can totally do it. Or if you want to do something else, I, I think homeschooling would be a big advantage compared to traditional education uh, as opposed to a disadvantage, no matter what what field you want to go into. I'm sure that has to be reassuring to the parents in addition to the kids. I'm sure the kids love hearing that and the parents too are like, oh, thank you. Uh, there's so many parents that I think people, there's there's not a lot of the homeschoolers I meet where since they were a little kid, they wanted to grow up in homeschool. I think most people find themselves wanting to homeschool because they see inadequacies in the preparation of their child, either bad influences that they'd rather protect their child from or educational deficiencies or, you know, anymore, we're more and more aware of the different learning styles and learning disabilities that kids have and recognizing like, hey, if I want my child to succeed, they need a little extra help here. Or they need a, this accommodation or they learn better this way. And uh, a lot of the folks I, I find they're kind of scared, like, I hope I'm up for it. And I always just want to encourage them like, you know, you love this kid. You're totally invested in this kid. You're there every day. Uh, I mean, I love teachers, but that's way more than you could ask of a teacher. And uh, by that alone, you're going to do you're going to do great. Well set up. Yes. Um, if memory serves, your your parents are doctors as well, correct? They are. Yeah. That's right. So when when you were homeschooling, did you? What's your talk to me about the homeschool science when you guys were homeschooling? With your parents being doctors, yeah. how, what did that look like for you guys? Science science is a pickle sometimes um, <laughs> for homeschool because we've struggled with it ourselves a little bit just with our kids. And uh, I'd say every year we we tried something slightly different. My folks, obviously, both family docs, um, one had a background more in bio, one was more in chemistry. So we had a lot of advantages there. But what their theory was, I think, was to lean back on the stuff that lends itself to homeschooling rather than necessarily struggling to provide experiences that homeschooling doesn't lend itself to. Um, some examples would be, you know, many of the textbooks would teach, you know, hard fact sciences, like I'm thinking of the kingdoms and the phylums and things of that nature that showed up on my biology test in high school. And it was easy because I already knew it. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about things like I'm this year we did for one of my son's uh, anatomy and physiology, which um, how many people really know how a kidney works? You know, that that would be a powerful thing to teach a child. And so there's there's some sciences, I think, that lend themselves better to homeschooling. And then other things are harder to replicate, like lab bench experiments. 
Um, but to some extent, I'd say that, you know, even in the public school system, sciences are quite varied among people as far as their experiences. So I would cling on to the stuff that homeschooling lends itself to. Um, I'm thinking of field trips to planetariums and to the zoo and things of that nature. And so I never felt really ill prepared for science. I thought that uh, that preparation was adequate compared to other people. And um, really, I think the place where homeschool shines the most is really in the humanities and other things that are completely neglected. So, I mean, if you make a, an allusion to Don Quixote in your biology essay in high school, uh, the teacher likes it, but none of the other kids are doing that, you know? So I think I would focus on the stuff that you can do well at home, especially the, the hard facts, and then the experiments and field trips that lend themselves. That's bringing me back to my high school lab days. I went to a public school for high school as well. And remembering sitting in the chemistry or physics lab or whatever, and just having the experiments completely go off the rails and not, it's like, what were we supposed to collect? Okay, now let's change our data so that the the report looks like what we should have done in the lab. And I remember going off to Thomas Aquinas College um, for my first year and we're doing, we're actually doing some lab stuff there and working with some of the homeschoolers where they're like, oh, we didn't get the right results. Let's let's get this set up again. Let's try these things. And we're like, wait, what do you know? We just write down what, what we should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that the scientific method comes out the best always at public school, you know, where it's like, okay, this is the answer you're supposed to get. But I mean, even there, you know, what are kids judged by? You know, when when you're homeschooling, you're judged, you judge yourself by preparing your kid um, educationally and otherwise for the world and for the future, for God's work for them. Um, in public school, it's all about, you know, did whatever percentage of kids pass the class? Did you get through this amount of the syllabus? I mean, it's all, it seems like it should translate, but I don't think it really does. There's so much going on there. It's hard. It's hard. It's a the standard. It's difficult to to meet, yeah. I, I got in trouble, actually, when I went to public high school. I remember my physics class. I was taking physics and calculus in high school, and a lot of kids took those. But I, you know, going through homeschool, I, I found myself like a year ahead of a lot of my peers when I went to high school, just kind of following the normal curriculum. And so the one year I was in physics and I was in calculus, and we had a final exam for both of them where you had to do an experiment. And... uh my experiment was uh, a model rocket, and we were going to chart the trajectory, and you had to make predictions and see if it landed in the right spot and all this whole workup. But I got marked down by the physics guy because he said, we don't teach calculus-based physics. Um, you looked up those calculations on your own. You were only supposed to use algebra, so you get an A-. minus. Oh, it's no. like, that doesn't seem fair at all. No. no. But that was kind of, kind of a good example, I thought, of the homeschool mentality versus the the mentality I experienced in public schools, at least, was, you know, public schools, you're supposed to crank out a specific answer, a specific product or something like that. In homeschool, it's like, yeah, this is this is the way that it's supposed to work. Algebra is a placeholder until you can learn the, the calculus. And uh, it did not compute for him. He didn't like it. <laughs> that, that would be frustrating, though, to being in your position, be like, okay, but that. Well, if it just made me appreciate more kind of the liberal education and uh, the, what I enjoyed in homeschool and what I enjoyed in college and the idea that, you know, God is one and there's one truth and what we know by revelation and what we learn by science or other educational disciplines, it all fits together. Um, and, and really your education in one area should lend itself to better understandings in other areas. And uh, I mean, I think that that is a, a good goal for education. It's something that really, I think, enriched my faith that I could point to these other things and say, man, this really all makes sense together. Um, and so it just, that, that story kind of makes me grateful for just other opportunities when, when people look at education as a, a function of the spiritual life even that everything's supposed to point you to God. 
and uh, you don't need to put stuff in boxes because it all fits together. Mm -hmm. So how did homeschool influence your later educational decisions and experiences? Were you thinking med school from the get-go or how did that all come to be? That's a good question. I, you know, growing up, I, uh, mom and dad were doctors. So that was the example that I had. And uh, they gave me a good example of a, a life where you get to help other people and a life that's challenging, that you enjoy in a lot of ways. And you got to see kind of the, the how the sausage is made, where sometimes it's early mornings or phone calls at night and things of that nature. But I had always been interested in, in medicine and um, and then politics and law. And so I was really kind of torn between the two of those. But especially after I got into college, I, I found that really healthcare was a great opportunity, especially mainly, I think, because of the paucity of pro-life uh, healthcare providers. Um, and I'm not even sure that there's really a lack of them, but just everybody who you wish would speak up was quiet. And so I always felt a call not only to to go into healthcare and, and hopefully be a really good doctor, but also to hopefully use whatever kind of influence I have to, to say there's a lot of pro-life doctors out there. Uh, that's something I've been really involved with here in Indiana. We just passed a, a pro-life law. Um, that's imperfect, but it's way better than nothing. And, um, you know, part of that was going down to the state house to kind of testify about that pro-life law. And there was one other pro-life doctor who got to talk. And and my message for for the people there was that, you know, there are lots of us, but uh, not everybody feels called to speak up. So that was something that I always wanted to work into my practice as well. Did that Catholic identity ever cause problems for you as you were, I mean, I assume so, but I mean, how did, how did you maneuver through those challenges of, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, especially in healthcare, I think, um, you know, society, pe- people will use the term woke or people will use, uh, other terms like that identity politics and litmus tests and things of that nature. So for a lot of, you know, my education after Ave Maria, especially in medical school, you do feel a little bit like you're walking on eggshells um, just because the way medical education is set up is that if you do kind of tick off the wrong person, they can they can maybe kick you out or make life really hard at, at a minimum. Um, but really, I, I think the opportunity was uh, it, it reminded me a little bit of going to public high school after being homeschooled is, uh, you know, my, my thought process was you got to show up first and work the hardest. And, um, you know, if, if you're doing a really good job, it's hard for people to complain about your worldview if you're such a wonderful teammate and people can rely on you. And so I think there are, are challenges there for sure. And people would love for there to be more challenges, but, you know, you're, you're, I'm thinking of residency, your co-residents can't really complain about you not wanting to do birth control or abortion uh, if you scored better than them on the tests because you worked harder or maybe you covered call for them and they owe you a favor. So I think uh, a lot of good old fashioned hard work has to undergird your intentions. But um, for for me, it was a stressful time, but it was it was doable. And obviously, with God's grace, anything's doable. Seems like good advice actually for any area just work you know if you're in a secular setting and you're trying to live out your catholic faith even if it's somewhat antagonistic to just say well be one of the best workers and be positive be helpful be and then you know, my experience is then their views are always like huh what is it with this stuff that this guy believes here on this does this have any impact on how happy he is or 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 that he's a good worker or or any of those things. Yeah. How do how do I get what he has? You know? Yeah. I'm not sure anybody yeah. says that, but you hope that they think it at some times, you know. Yeah. And that yeah. that Catholic identity informs why you're approaching it. It informs that work ethic you have and speaks yeah, it speaks that way. Yeah. So then how did you come to decide on family medicine? Is it your your parents are family medicine docs as well? So how is that is that the specialty you wanted to, to go into in the beginning, or did you find your way there eventually? 
That's a good good question too. You know, I I would say that probably in in training, you know, you're exposed to all sorts of things, and there's a bit of a discernment process there. Family medicine always was pretty high on my list because uh, kind of the intricacies of medical licensure is that you know if you are, for example, a orthopedic surgeon, uh, it's a great job, um, but you can never stop being an orthopedic surgeon and go work in an ER or go work in an urgent care or, you know, they don't really do house calls or things of that nature. Um, same thing for a dermatologist. Great job, but you're limited in the scope of what you're trained in and you feel comfortable doing. I always liked family medicine because it has uh, kind of a pluripotency about it that if for legal reasons, you can't practice medicine in a certain place. Or for physical reasons, there's certain parts of medicine that are too taxing. Um, I really liked surgery, but I'll tell you, some of these surgeries, you're standing there for 10 hours and my back would hurt. I say, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, so I really like family medicine for that reason, because you can tailor your practice over time to your interests and the needs of the community. So there's some things that uh, I do that are uncommon. One of the things I did a little extra training in was dermatologic procedures and colonoscopies. Um, a lot of family doctors don't do colonoscopies anymore, but uh, I, I kind of like it because you get to help people and it's a day out of the office. And so having a, a whole diversity of things that, that you can do really, I think it makes the job more fun. That would keep things interesting. Not the super specialty is going deep, but there's not much difference, I guess. There. It, it doesn't lend itself to my personality, at least. I mean, the world needs the people who are the super specialist in one area. And if you've got that disease, you want the super specialist. And I'm, sure. My job is to get you there. But uh, I think it's a lot more fun getting to do a lot of different things. And I, I really enjoy it. Has that allowed you to kind of build relationships or get to know, like, families i mean i mean so like over the years where like a specialist i assume like you break your foot once and then you don't go back and see the the you know that your foot specialist there ever again hopefully but is that yeah it's that been a good experience kind of seeing maybe families move through oh it's such a joy and i mean really at the end of the day everybody everybody's got to go to work and you've got to support your family but the the opportunity is to find joy in what you do and uh, especially when you're a kid, you get to pick what you're going to do, Ser searching out something that's enjoyable and intellectually interesting and challenging if you can. And uh, it's, it's been such a joy for me in family medicine because in the same day, you'll see four different generations of a family. And in caring for one person, you know the backstory that recently, you know, their, their spouse or their aunt passed away in, in a tragic accident or something that'll inform your care of this patient. And then you get to see folks in the hospital uh, when they're newborns, uh, when they're sick, um, get to provide hospice care for folks at the end of life and hopefully in, encourage them to take advantage of the sacraments and all the gifts the church has to offer at that time. And, and just kind of pivoting back and forth, you know, in one appointment, you'll be having a difficult conversation about depression with a teenager. And then in the very next one, you'll have a newborn baby and then you'll have an end of life visit. And so uh, it makes the day full of emotions. There's never a boring day in my life. They're all good, all good days and definitely interesting. I'm sure the families appreciate knowing you for that duration as well. It's from the mom perspective, I have, I have four kids it's, and it's been important to me to find doctors I can establish relationships with that know us and and have that kind of backstory that that inform the decisions that we're all trying to make in the best interest of our kids and, and you're bringing their your Catholic worldview to that seeing them as whole people like that and and there's a dimension of that that is difficult to quantify it can't be the value of that it can't be minimized I I think that's how it's supposed to be if you can do it, it there's a lot of challenges um, and I'm I'm blessed in many ways. I'm in private practice, so I have more flexibility than a lot of folks in uh, in how we do things around here. But 
when it's working well, it really is, it's a wonderful thing. That sure seems to be less and less common to find doctors in private practice. Seems like a lot of, around here, it's, it's I don't know, less and less common, I guess. <laughs> it, it's it's pretty uncommon around here too. I, I knew that part of kind of what I felt God was calling me to do was to try and be outspoken on, on pro-life things especially. And uh, I was kind of afraid somebody would fire me. So I said, I'm just going to do my own thing right from the get-go. And, and we've been really quite blessed with people wanting to come and join the practice and, and uh, for patients to come as well. So, you know, God always provides, especially when, when you're trying in earnest to follow as well. Here's yet another example of a homeschooler who is uh, very self, very comfortable. You're very comfortable with yourself as you are. That's something I notice over and over in our, these Colby Cast conversations. People who have who are who have been homeschooled, they have that sense of self that they they know who they are and they are very comfortable. You know, to varying degrees, of course, and everybody's got their struggles, but to have that sense of here, this is who I am and, and where I'm going and as a child of God. But that sense of self, I really admire that so much. You guys. Well, I, I always think too with homeschooling, I mean, and I, I, I always had this sense of things are figure outable. Um, and even if it's something that I'm not familiar with now, we can figure it out. Uh, and there's education and experience that are required and we'll go out and seek those out. But, uh, kind of the idea that, you know, we, we can do it, especially if it's something that's on your heart, on your mind. Um, a lot of people I talk to, you know, right now the, the example that's coming to my head is just doing the private practice in medicine. A lot of people say, I could never do that. But there's other things too. I mean, you know, um, in, in college, I know a big, a big thing that I'd help my wife with, she was involved in the drama department there or, you know, before there was a drama department even, um, putting on plays. And there's so many things that people would say, uh, I don't know if we can do that. Uh, nobody knows how to do that. There's no experience. But in homeschool, especially, there's a sense that we can figure it out. You know, there's, there's going to be a, a course on that. We can find somebody who's an expert on that. We can reach out to other people. Uh, things can be conquered. And so I, I think that's something that's a huge gift to homeschooling as well. I think one of the things that all that always strikes me now that I'm a homeschooling dad, even though I went through public school, is just the I remember being a small one, you know, second, third grade, whatever, first, and crying at the end of every year because I'd had a teacher that I spent, you know, eight hours a day with for nine months out of the year. Yeah. And then that was suddenly gone. And then in the next year it's it's ha it happens again. I think that in as I've reflected back, there's just a certain hard hardness that develops there where whereas the homeschooling child has their parents who love them no matter what they don't have to try to show that they're the best in the class or the best behaved or whatever to get the attention it's just you're going to be loved and they care about you so they're going to teach you those habits but um there's there's the love is there it's not a competition to be something to earn that and then have it lost over and over again too so i, I think that's been in, that's what I've observed, at least with some of the, the homeschool people with homeschool backgrounds. There's there's this that stability coming up, yeah. partially because of that. Oh, I I'd completely agree. You know, it's just you have the confidence in in who you are and what your task is, and you're confident that you can accomplish what you need to because that's what you've been doing your whole life. You know, and so there's there's not a question of what do I do or how do I do or can I do? It's, it's, uh, I think confidence would be a good way to describe most of the homeschoolers I know. Mm -hmm. I like that expression too, figure outable. I like that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what you're up to these days in your current endeavors. You have yeah. your, your private practice and the Dr. Doctor show. Can you tell me more about that? That's a, as a fellow podcaster, I'm really interested in how your show came to be and how, how do you come to be a part of that? Yeah. The Dr. Doctor show has been really, really fun. Uh, if anybody is interested, it's drdoctor.org. Uh, and we've got good stuff out there, so you should check it out. Mm -hmm. um, in 2017, the bishops did a, a convocation down in Florida. Um, 
And I guess they only do these things every hundred years or something, but basically all the bishops in the country got together and there were lay people, uh, a limited amount from different organizations that were invited to that. And I was lucky enough to be invited on behalf of the Catholic Medical Association. Okay. So it was really an awesome experience for me because, you know, you might have seen your bishop way up there. In my family, we're in the back row. The kids are kind of loud. Bishop's <laughs> way up there at mass sometimes. And then even now in my diocese, we have Bishop Rhodes and he's everywhere. So I see him a lot more uh, than growing up. But at this, there were bishops everywhere. Every bishop recognize the face, recognize the name. They're giving talks. There's different breakouts and things. It was amazing. I really liked it. And I had been doing little interviews for the, uh, the local Catholic radio station for their morning show. And we do like a little medical minute, um, either about a current event or a new court case or law or new medicine or things. This was all pre-COVID. That's pretty much all anybody talks about anymore. Right. Um, but I was familiar with that, and one of my friends, Tom McGovern, he's uh, probably the most high-energy person I've ever met, hmm. and uh, he had it on his heart to try and start a radio station, not a station, a, a show, and um, a lot of doctors will do this here and there, uh, but most of the doctors we talked to as we were kind of learning about it, people kind of run out of content after a period of time. I mean... You cover the big things or the things you're really comfortable with. And then after a couple, two, three years, you're like, we've, we've done everything. The show's over. Um, but our idea, kind of talking to the local radio station and meeting folks, we met some of the EWTN folks at the convocation and at other kind of national meetings. Um, we decided we want to do a, a Catholic medical radio show where we tried to cover a lot of regular medical stuff through the Catholic lens cover all the places where Catholicism and medicine intersect, which there's more than I think many people would think of. Um, you know, Catholics, Christians invented hospitals, and the whole idea of healthcare is a Christian idea, something that didn't exist before Christianity. And even as secular society is kind of taking some of those roles on, um, it's hard to get away from Christian principles. It's really hard. Because uh, obviously the healthcare system was founded on Christian principles, and so we we like to talk about the intersection of our faith and of medicine and current events, and we wanted to do a guest-based program, where in in part of the CMA, you know, we get to meet so many uh, good Catholic doctors, healthcare professionals, administratives, administrative people, uh, different authors, and things. We said, you know. These guys are the experts in their fields of all these different areas. We want to bring them on. That way we never run out of content because somebody else is giving us the content. And then hopefully we could be a familiar voice to guide people and hopefully point folks always back to the light. Um, and I, I felt really called to do it because there's a, in the secular medical world, people reject the idea of faith a lot, which is really sad. Um, even to the extent when I graduated medical school, they rewrote, this probably started before me, but they rewrote the Hippocratic Oath, which doctors have taken for 2,500 years, because right from the get-go, it said no abortion and no euthanasia. And that was an issue 2,500 years ago. Hippocrates put it in there. And they've casually rewritten it over time to allow both of those things. And so people in, in secular medicine can look down on faith and religion as a second, second class citizen, you know? And then I find also that many people of faith are very hesitant to engage with the scientific community, um, mainly, I think, because of abortion and birth control. And they feel like, you know, they might think I'm weird because I'm a person of faith. And uh, I think it's easy for people of faith to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to science and medicine. I think the objective truth is that there's only one God and only one truth. Um, science lends itself to helping us be whole and have life abundantly as God wants for us. But then you always have the faith to help guide how to implement the science. 
And so part of my goal with the show is to reach out to people of science who are, they kind of bristle at the idea of faith and hopefully introduce them that uh, we're not weird. Uh, and we have reasons for our beliefs. If they're not self-evident to you, we'll explain them. Uh, but then also reach out to people of faith who have said, hey, I can't trust science. Um, I, I think you can. Might be individual people that that are less trustworthy, but science is good, and God gave us our reason to use to help others. And so, my goal is kind of a twofold evangelization, and hopefully reclaiming the at least from an educational perspective, reclaiming some of that scientific um, experience for for our listeners. It's one of the beautiful things about being Catholic. There is, I always feel like. Well, we own all the truth. It all belongs to us. So you, you, if you're a different group and you're saying something that's true, well, it actually, you're just borrowing that from us. So <laughs> we'll take that. That's but, right. It's like you're closer than you think. Yeah, right, right. Well, I certainly do enjoy the show. You guys have a great rapport. I really enjoy listening to you guys just, just visit with each other and then when interacting with guests. And I like the, the um, specialty deep dives that you take just to understand more about the different specialties. Yeah. You guys are covering such a breadth of, of topics that are so pertinent to our times right now and also areas that we can think more deeply about and, and kind of serve to heal some of those areas, like you're saying, that there's misunderstanding or skepticism or things like that. I think it, it, you accomplish it in, in such a, an enjoyable way, and it uh, sticks better that way, I think. <laughs> we, we've really got a good one coming up in a few weeks. We're recording it. Uh the hardest part about running a podcast you guys probably know is just getting everybody's schedules mm -hmm. to line up. Yeah. Um, but we've got a good one coming up going through misconceptions about abortion being necessary in healthcare. Mm, see? And uh, one of the big things after Roe was overturned, I got a lot of different messages from pro-life people who are struggling to articulate why healthcare is not abortion, abortion is not healthcare, especially when you have celebrities of different genres coming out and saying women will die because of this and ectopic pregnancies and this and that. When in truth, that isn't, that's not true at all. That's complete falsehoods. And so we're going to go into a deep dive with Chris kind of in the driver's seat. He's the obstetrician saying, okay, here's the standard of care for this medical problem. This is what you do. It's definitely not abortion. Abortion's actually not the standard of care secularly in medicine for any medical condition. That's never a time when that is what you're supposed to do. So we're going to try and myth bust and hopefully arm people up with uh, data points they can use and trying to talk to their friends and neighbors because ultimately for the pro-life cause, I think we're shifting to the, the place where it's all about converting hearts and minds and uh, the legal stuff is going to become less of an issue after this initial first one or two years, I think. That sounds great. We'll look forward to that. Are all your guests Catholic? They're all in the Catholic Medical Association, or do, they, do you ever have folks outside of that? I would say most are, just that's the circle we run with. So that's uh, the people we know the best. But we, we, uh, there's no rule to that. And we have had non-Catholics on the show, especially to highlight some of the work they do. It's, uh, it's interesting, you know, that within the Catholic faith, obviously is how God intended it. But there's so many people that I look at with amazement and think, man, you're so much further than me <laughs> for the, the good work that you do. And uh, we got to share this with people. And so we, we have uh, Catholics and non-Catholics on the show as our guests to, to highlight the work they do. So for new listeners, when you, when you find out about a new listener, do you have a, an episode or two that you point them to to get them started? And then they can just listen for a while. <laughs> Man, that's a great question. Well, we've got about 280 episodes, and we've tried to design most of the topics to be evergreen. And uh, if you go to the website, you can key in almost any topic, uh, depending on what your interests are in. I'm kind of a philosophy nerd at heart. Uh, that's that's where the the most interesting things are to me is to try and show people by reason what is evidently true or can be known to be true. And so uh, for, for philosophy nerds, we had a really good dual episode on brain death mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Father Tad from the National Catholic Bioethics Center mm -hmm. and uh, Dr. Pete Colosi, who teaches, I believe, 
he might have taught at Steubenville for a while. Now I think he's teaching at a seminary. We had kind of a philosophical and medical analysis around brain death uh, because the church has always held that brain death um, is a legitimate thing as diagnosed by doctors, but it doesn't tell the doctors how to do their job. Um, and it's a critical question when it comes down to organ donation, which the church has always held as a good thing, provided the person is really dead. Um, and it would be a bad thing otherwise. So uh, for, for people who are philosophy nerds, that's where I'd start. I thought that was great. Yeah, uh, We're actually got another dueling one coming up. We recorded one a couple of years ago, but it was one-sided, and we're going to have a second episode coming up on another philosophical uh, quandary about uh, embryo adoption mm. for, wow. unfortunately, these babies who are left on ice from IVF. And uh, church has never spoken officially on, on what to do, and so it's it's something where we see controversy. Let's at least let everybody who's orthodox talk and tell us the the pieces at play. Mm -hmm. For a straight medical, I'm thinking homeschoolers, kids are being homeschooled. I would dive into pediatric uh, illnesses and pediatric injuries. So we've had several shows on uh, kids. I do a lot with kids, and but we've we've had pediatricians from. Denver and from St. Louis and uh, from My Catholic Doctor, which is a telehealth organization, uh, all on talking about well, what do I do if my baby has a fever? How high is too high? What if they're crying and I can't get them to stop? Um, how do I make my newborn sleep? Uh, I think for a lot of our listeners, probably on this podcast, they'd enjoy those. Absolutely. That's great. You only need a baby that won't sleep for about a week or two and you're like, Give me anything. Help. <laughs> that's uh, that's we'll we'll bring anybody to to looking for help, and we'd love to help if we can. That's fantastic. Well, we're getting close to the end of the time that we asked of you today, so I want to be respectful of that. Do you have any words of wisdom to um, homeschooled high school students who might be interested in studying or practicing medicine, or any anything about navigating that system, or anything along those lines? Yeah. That's great. Well, I guess my biggest advice um, to all homeschooled high school students who are looking at college is to pick a Catholic college who's really Catholic as per the Newman Guide. Okay. If there was, uh, apart from getting married and being baptized, that decision was probably the, the critical point in my life. And I see so many good people go to secular schools and... Uh, you become the average of the people you hang out with. And so you want to send your kid to a school where they're going to have good peers. So that would be my number one blanket advice. Um, I'd say for healthcare in specific, you've got to be aggressive. Um, for medical school, they really don't care about your high school transcript. Um, if you do really cool stuff in high school, you get no credit for that. Uh, so in some ways, that's sad if you've done really cool stuff. But in some ways, it's good because really you're on a total even playing field uh, with people in college, no matter what they did prior. And so I would look at it as an opportunity, and I would immediately find a uh, an academic counselor in your institution who can shepherd you a little bit. And uh, you got to get really good grades, and you got to take all the, the required classes. And so in some ways, I there were times when I, I would really look at this as you know, this is the work God's calling me to do. And so there's times when other people maybe are going to the beach down in Florida at Ave. And uh, I'm like, okay, I got to go crank out this this lab experiment or what have you. And so there are some sacrifices in play, but nothing is, nothing is insurmountable. If you feel that's what God's calling you to do, I would go for it. And uh, between here and there is going to be a lot of work and getting good grades, but uh, it's totally doable. And I think with a homeschool background, you've only got an advantage compared to your peers. Okay. Super. Anything that you throw out for, for those who are practicing Catholics in the medical field, anything to consider there? It seems like that, that is a primary focus of your podcast. So listening along the way yeah. that you can pick up a lot that way in along the episodes, anything else or any of that top of mind things that you'd want to throw out at this point? Yeah, there's a lot of, Catholics of goodwill who are practicing medicine. And as they 
grow older, they become better Catholics, like hopefully most of us do. Let your practice of medicine catch up with your faith and uh, live boldly. Most of the, the folks that I know who are struggling to kind of, you know, make that jump and kind of be open about their faith in their work uh, and kind of follow all the church's guidance on that, they're kind of afraid. They're afraid patients are going to reject them. They're afraid that their institution's going to reject them. But ultimately, I think kind of twofold. One, you're going to be judged on what you do, not what anybody else does. Um, and two, you're going to be shocked by your reception because, at least in, in my experience, there was a whole group of folks that I didn't even know exist that were waiting for me. And uh, God brought us together. So I'd say live your faith in the practice of healthcare. And if you're a doctor, uh, that means following the church teachings. Um, if you're a nurse, that means also not only following the church teachings, but advocating for your patients and not participating in things that are bad. And so be confident. And uh, if there is any hard times, you'll be rewarded for that. God will give you the grace and blessings to, to be a light, be a light in the darkness. All right. Thank you. Well said. Any final thoughts at this point? Anything else you wanted to include that we didn't get to or something that's come to mind as we've been talking? No, I just, I'd like to thank you guys for having me on. I really enjoyed this. Um, if somebody's debating about homeschooling, I'd encourage you to do it. Uh, places where you're an inadequate right now, you will grow to be adequate. And nobody cares more about your child's education than you do. So if you're on the fence, I would do it. Oh, fantastic. We do hear quite a bit from people who are trying to decide whether to go forward with homeschooling. So thank you for that as well. It's, it's been such a pleasure to meet you today. Thank you so much, Dr. Andrew Mullally, for coming to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.